Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, please. I owe my life to my mother in more ways than one. (laughs) It's kind of like my dad sharing a testimony in Bible college, and he stood up and said, I was born at a very early age. (laughs) Um. Those of you who are at my uh, little birthday uh, picnic will appreciate this even more than most, but uh, when I was young, we lived in a home with a gas cooking range, which back then required matches to light, uh, and so I had learned to watch my parents uh, strike the matches, and uh, this is one of those memories that was when I was uh, too young to remember, but my mom shared it with me. And uh, one day they had some company over, and uh, she was busy with the company, and I was busy with the matches. <laughs> and apparently I was wise enough to hold the match over the garbage can while I struck it, the garbage can that was full of paper, and, uh, and it went right down in there, and my mom smelled smoke in the house. There was <laughs> smoke. She came in and found me with the matches and the flaming uh, waste basket and the vinyl curtains right up above it and saved my life <laughs> on more than one occasion. I was too young for her to ask this, but I'm sure if I was a little bit older, she would have said, What were you thinking? <laughs> that is mom's most important question. My wife still says that to me. (laughs) Why do parents ask that question? Or why do they say, go to your bedroom and think about this for a while, and then we'll talk about it? Well, they, they ask that question because they know that we act according to how we think. And that's what God says as well. He says, we act according to what we think. And so asking the question, what were you thinking, is a very important question for us to ask because our thoughts lead to our behaviors and those lead to our feelings. And we need to understand how to think rightly. In Philippians chapter 4, God is going to give us a prime instruction about our thought life today. And it contributes to our peace It contributes to our effectiveness for him and and every part of our life. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I can imagine God in heaven looking at us sometimes and saying, what were you thinking? Well, this verse is his summary of what we should be thinking. And it begins with the most important point. God wants us to think about things that are true. Whatever things are true, think about these things. And I've broken this down into three Three, three aspects of truth, if you will, to help you think of it. And the first one is what I'd call essential truth, God's Word. When God says, think about the things that are true, 
he's talking about everything that's in here. Um, there are things that we call truth in the world, like gravity. It is a discovered truth. Uh, God appears to have created the world with, with this force we call gravity. And many other scientific ideas, and yet from time to time those ideas seem to shift. They are modified. Uh, um, they used to think that one of the ways uh, medically to make you feel better was to cut a slit and let some of the blood out because it was you're just getting too much of that in there. And now they're going just the opposite of that, trying to keep it all where it belongs. And so we, we could have talked about truth in that era or even truth in today's medical era. And, and I suspect that in another generation there will be some different truths about medicine. But when it comes to life, this is truth, God's word. Jesus said, your word is truth. Um, I understand that in our society today and, and in many parts of the world, people are saying, well, you know, that's your idea of truth. This is my idea of truth. And truth is just a construct. It's something made up. Um, you can try and say that all you want, but God says this is truth. And so when you ask the question to yourself, what should I be thinking? Number one, foremost above all, you should be thinking God's truth. God's truth. God's truth is what should be in your mind. It should be what comes out of your mouth and out of your life. How does God's truth compare with some of the common truth in our society? Well, one of those common truths today is there is no absolute truth. And yet Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our society says death is a natural part of life. God says, no, death is the result of sin. Our society says, if it doesn't hurt anyone, I can do anything I want. God says, no, sin always hurts the one who does it, and it often hurts other people around. Our society says, if it, if it makes me feel good, I'll do it. God says, if it makes me righteous, I'll do it. Our society says, I shouldn't say this if it might offend someone, God says, I should say some things because they are true. Essential truth is God's word. There's another kind of truth that we need to meditate on, and that's experiential truth. Experiential truth. Actual words and events. What do I mean by that? Well, God is here telling us what we should choose to think about. When we walk through life, things happen. And we make judgments and discernments about the things that happen in life. That's normal, it's natural, it's part of what we uh, are as human beings. And yet, we need to choose as Christians to only focus our thoughts on actual words and events. What's the, diff what's the opposite of an actual word or an, an event? It's what I read between the lines. Well, I know what they were thinking. I know what they meant to say. I know what was really going on. And then we focus our thinking on our own judgments. And we sort of push the actual words and events aside. And when we do that, oftentimes peace leaves us and 
perhaps even righteousness too. There's a third element of truth, and I've called this expected truth. Expected truth. What I know will happen. This brings us back again to the Scripture. If I look into the future and I try to imagine what is going to happen, sometimes I will imagine things that are not going to be fun. I will look ahead and say, oh, I just know this is going to be terrible. That's what God calls anxiety. But if I look into the future and say, you know what? Someday I'm going to heaven. That is a certainty. That is our last stop. (laughs) It's a certainty. It's a truth. I can meditate on it. I ought to meditate on it. I can look forward in life and say, I know God will work all things together for good to those who love him, Romans 8, 28. I know that's going to happen. I can look forward and say, I know God will help me do everything he asks me to do in his word. I can look forward and relate to the phrase out of verse 5 in Philippians 4, The Lord is at hand. The Lord is ahead of me. Wherever I go, he's going to be there. Those are true statements. That kind of thinking about the future is truth. Truth is the starting point for right thinking, but it's not the ending point. And the reason is because there are all kinds of things that are true that God doesn't want us to think about And he's going to define the rest of that here. You know, even sin is true, but he doesn't want us to meditate on it. And so I've I've created this kind of a circle diagram. You can uh, put it on your notes if you like. Um, And the reason is because God doesn't tell us to pick one of these issues out of verse 8 and then always think that way. He says, get a hold of all of these things and then let all of them affect your thinking. And so the second one is this word noble. Uh, In the King James Version, it's the word honest. In the list, it means to be honorable or respectable or dignified. The word is one of the the required traits of a deacon in 1 Timothy 3. And it essentially refers to exemplary conduct, exemplary character. One author commented this way, Today, people tend to be occupied with tawdry things. They spill it all out shamelessly, making the most intimate details of life a matter of open conversation. The advent of the talk show has resulted in all kinds of topics being discussed and dissected without any regard for propriety. Problems formerly reserved for the ears of one's doctor or minister are shared publicly. Things that are noble. If you notice in God's word, God tells us enough detail so that we get the idea, but not so much that we are overcome with it. One of the big stories in the news lately has been about Peter Keller, who murdered his wife and daughter and set his home on fire, and then holed up in this bunker up out of Issaquah by North Bend. One news show was reporting on the the video journal entries from his computer that were made leading up to the terrible things which culminated in his suicide. He had planned this thing for years, and 
And uh, when he knew he was going to get caught, he killed himself. As the radio show host discussed his, the journal entries, and they tried to understand what Peter Keller was thinking before his crimes, one of the hosts said this, I'm starting to think that this guy's mind isn't worth probing. Yeah, that's right. There are some things we don't need to think about and we shouldn't think about. And for sure, once that stuff comes along, we should not choose to meditate on it, to focus on it. Just because someone is willing to talk about something in public doesn't mean we should listen or enter into their conversation or use our time thinking about that material. Third thing on this list is the word just. And it means to be right as opposed to wrong. There are many wrongs in the world which we should not focus our thoughts on. If we focus on wrongs suffered, we become bitter. You know, again, in the balance of these words is how we learn to think. We could look back in our life and say, some bad things happened to me. It's true. Uh, bad things happen. Some of them really wicked. Am I going to focus on the wrong that I have suffered? Am I going to look at others and focus on the wrong that they have suffered and just meditate on that and become bitter? You know what the Apostle Paul did when he was wrongly imprisoned and beaten? He sang songs of praise to God while he was in prison. I don't think he was focusing on the wrongs he had suffered. I think he was focusing on the God who was present with him. We also should not meditate on the wrongs of the world, lest we become cynical. Uh, I hang out with the police community, have for, for 20 years, and by some statistics, some folks would say that 85% of the crime is committed by 15% of the population. In other words, there are a relatively small number of criminals who, who re-offend, re-offend, re-offend. But after dealing with that 15% so much, it's real easy for a police officer to start to think that 15% represents 100%. And they start to not trust anybody. I had a had a police officer in Boardman, Oregon, little Boardman, Oregon, about the size of a postage stamp. He worked for the sheriff's office, came to our church every Sunday, was up all night and was sat right over there with his bleary eyes every Sunday morning, living for the Lord, but he, he did not buy his groceries in the town he lived in. He drove to the next town over because he didn't want to have to see somebody he'd arrested in the grocery store. You start to think the whole world's messed up except me and you, and I'm a little worried about you. <laughs> In the secular news media, they have a saying, you've probably heard it, if it bleeds, it leads. What that means is, if there's a story about death and tragedy and mayhem, it's going to be right up front in the news. Do you know what the job of the secular news media is? <laughs> to sell papers, to sell advertising, to get you to watch. 
to get you to watch. And so they'll do whatever it takes to package the news and to focus on news to get you to watch. And if you watch enough of the news, you could just about quote it tomorrow night. Right up front. Somebody killed somebody. Somebody cheated somebody. Somebody got arrested for being abusive of their position of power. I mean, right on down the line. And if you focus on that, focus on that, focus on that, it's going to make you cynical. It is not immature or naive to choose to focus on the good in people and the world. We don't have to deny that evil exists in order to focus on what is good, what is just. Number four, God says we should think about what is pure. Um, the word literally would mean something like uncontaminated. It's often, the, the root word here is often translated holy in the New Testament. It means to be undefiled or uncontaminated, and it's often used of moral purity. And I would assume that in a list like this, this word is the key word that is focusing on moral purity because the other words focus on, on other aspects of our thinking. And so the, the challenge that surrounds this is that there is so much input in our world that is sexually tempting or, or outright sexually sinful. Television, movies, music, uh, even music, music videos. Uh, you know, you can click through your channels and find MTV if you have cable and and terrible stuff that is being portrayed in music, words that are there. Do you know how to keep impure thoughts out of your mind? Here it is. Don't listen. Don't watch. Don't read. Don't repeat. Don't listen. Don't watch. Don't read. Don't repeat. If you walk away when people start talking about such things, people will laugh at you. But you only have to do that a few times, and then they will say, you might not want to hear us. I have the benefit of being a pastor in this regard. Um, whenever I'm in a group of people, typically secular people, and they're getting ready to tell one of those jokes, they're going to say, uh, you might not want to hear this. And you know what I do when they say that? I say, well, thank you very much. Okay, Because you know what? I don't need to hear any more of it. My mind's not any different than yours. And I've heard some of that stuff over the years. And I don't need any more of it. And so I do walk away. And, you know, they may laugh at me and they may not. Uh, I understand people will talk about you being naive or prudish or whatever it is. Um, I've had people say those kinds of things. But I just don't need any more garbage. I tell you what, they may laugh at you now, but someday when your marriage is strong and your life is strong, and theirs is falling apart, there won't be any laughing going on. One of the important habits you can pick up is in, right now, if you want to have a pure mind, is do not repeat the wickedness that you hear. When you speak something out of your mouth, it cements it into memory. That's one of the laws of learning. And that's why if you go to a class that is taught by more of an educational expert, they will get you involved in the learning process because what comes out of your mouth tends to stick in your head. One of the reasons that I know so many scriptures is because every week I'm just speaking them or reading them, reading them 
Honestly, I haven't spent tons of time trying to memorize. I've spent more time trying to memorize in recent years than previous years, but over and over and over. When I was in Bible college, I thought, I'm going to be a failure. Because I had a class as a freshman in which we had to memorize five Bible verses a week for ten weeks. And at the end of it, we were tested over all 50 verses. I did not get that good of a grade. Now, frankly, part of that was effort. You know, I'm not stupid, but I didn't give the effort to it. But I also thought, I, I just can't do this. I'm not going to be very good at this. I didn't realize that one of the keys to memory is repetition. And taking a cue from Jason Nightingale, the fellow who recites large portions of Scripture, he'll be with us on July 8th, he said, speaking it is the key. And so when I'm on the elliptical machine, I have a little piece of Scripture there, and I'm currently working on First uh, Peter 5, verses 1 through Seven. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am also a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, taking the oversight, not by compulsion but willingly, not for sordid gain but eagerly, not as lording it over those who are appointed to your care, who are entrusted to your care, but as being an example of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, he, he will give you the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit to your elders, and all of you be submissive to one another. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, Cast all your care upon him. I see I don't have it down perfectly. Okay, you know, you know why I'm working on that? Because I need more of that in my head and less of the other stuff. Okay, and you know how I'm memorizing it? I read it out loud over and over when nobody's looking on I'm on the elliptical trainer. I don't read it really loud, but just loud enough it's coming out of my mouth. There is something about that. Now, what I'm trying to tell you today is conversely, do not repeat the impure things that you do not want stuck in your head. Because everything you repeat out of your mouth sticks in your head more than the things that you don't repeat. Number five, God says, think about the things that are lovely. Think about the things that are lovely. It means to be pleasing or agreeable. Uh, several of these words are a little hard to nail down scripturally, and that's why I'm not turning to a lot of other scripture that definitely uses this word. This is the only place this word is used in the New Testament, I believe. It's a compound word, but it's, it's the only place it's used. What kind of things fit into this, this definition of pleasing or agreeable? Well, I'll give you some examples in my life. I love to sit here after church and watch the kids play, especially I love it when a couple little girls come up and say, can we have a piece of candy out of your office? <laughs> I got news for you, they aren't here today. The only reason I do that is so those girls will talk to me. Because <laughs> one of them in particular comes from a background in which she didn't trust any men at all. And so that's, that's a lovely thing. I love to watch two people like Adam and Tara Holland, Adam Jewell and Tara Holland, stand together right here and express their lifelong commitment to each other 
I love to watch the congregation clap at the end of their wedding. Husband and wife. That's lovely. There are so many things in the entertainment world, TV, movies, video, games, music, and the like, that are unlovely. They might be real, they might be true, but they aren't lovely. And that's why God gives us this whole circle of words to, to blend together about in, in terms of our thinking. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it something that's just, just a blessing to look at? Number six. God wants us to think about things that are admirable. Something that you can admire. The word literally means to speak well of it. It's, it's actually where we get our word eulogy, to speak well of something. I was waiting for my car at a repair shop a month or two ago, and, and so I'm sitting there, and I just picked up a magazine. And it's, it's a magazine that you see on the, on the rack at the grocery store, but I never really read it or looked at it. And so I'm kind of reading the stories, kind of thumbing through and reading a little bit. And after a while, I thought, this whole magazine is about people coming together in relationships and getting divorced and cheating and so on. It's, it's a magazine called Us. And it's all about this celebrity relationship stuff. And I thought, can they have a whole magazine about that? Yes, they can. And they have had for many years, apparently. Because people, people, I don't know, they want to live vicariously. They want to see what's going on. I, I don't say it, I don't say it uh, with foolishness. You, you want to see where people's lives are coming and going. You come in my office and hang out for a week. I don't think that's stuff we ought to be meditating on. It is not good to talk about people's sin. I am not to fill my mind with the story of a celebrity who cheats on their spouse and, and, spouse and divorces them for a younger, prettier model. No matter how successful they are in the, the rest of the world, God wants us to think about things that are admirable. What can we admire? God wants us to think about things that are virtuous, full of virtue or good qualities. The NIV translates this excellent. One of the other big topics on the radio this week was the case of Stephen Powell. Stephen Powell is the father of that fellow who presumably murdered his wife and you know some time ago and then burned up himself and his children in his house down here. And, and his father has been accused of some, some, uh, some sexual crimes and the show that I, the radio show that I was listening to was discussing the evidence that was presented in his criminal case and whether or not it should be admitted as evidence. And they're talking about all these kind of, well, you know, pictures look like this and here's the definition of this and that. And after a while, I just thought, man, I don't want to listen to that. Now, unfortunately, there are times in our lives when we have to think about things that are not virtuous. Um, you know, part of the world that I, that I deal with requires that. Uh, I even had to testify in a murder case one time because of some interaction I had with a person who was eventually accused of killing their own child. Um, there are some terrible things in the world, but I should not be 
spending my time thinking about that unless it's absolutely necessary for some genuine reason. There's a lot of stuff out there that is not full of virtue. You may have had some things in your life that are terrible and, and, and you don't even want to think about them, but you have to deal with them. That's, that's fine. That's a godly thing. But when you don't have to think about it, you need to direct your thoughts in a different direction. Number eight, the last in this list, is it worthy of praise or is it praiseworthy? What kinds of things deserve praise? The root idea in the word to praise is, is to tell the story, literally just to tell the story of someone or something. Now here's some stuff that's not worthy of praise. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. In other words, God says there's stuff that happens. It's true. It's real. But we don't need to be thinking about it and repeating those stories. Should we muse on the terrible details of some crime? Should we think about how some group of criminals that hang out together have gotten away with their crime? Does that story deserve to be in our head and be retold? Should we meditate on the moral failure of some Hollywood husband or wife? Or should we come to church like we did last week and I heard some people extolling the virtue that they saw in a Christian debate context? Somebody came to me and I was one of the judges. Some of our people judged at this debate contest and they said, you know what, I've been kind of discouraged about the condition of our society looking at the anarchy that went on in Seattle a couple of weeks ago. But now I come here and I hear all these Christian teens defending their faith and debating in different good ways. And they said, I feel better about our country. That's exactly what God is talking about. Are we going to focus on all the bad all the time? Or are we going to look and say, you know, there's some good things going on. Some things that are praiseworthy. We can go home from Adam and Tara's wedding thinking about the joys of married life. Could, can I put in a crazy advertisement right now? When somebody in our church gets married or gets buried, you ought to be here. You know why? Because God will speak to you. God will correct your thinking. He will, he will balance out what's gone in your life. And you say, well, how can that be? It can be because you look at somebody like Adam and Terry and you go, wow, isn't that great? They love each other. They've been sexually pure. They're coming together righteously. And, and they not only have one pastor in their life, they got three pastors that are participating in this. And, you know, and here's their family and their friends. And it's a wonderful thing. And it ought to encourage you so that you go out saying, wow, there is good in the world. And you ought to come at the end of life and maybe you have nothing to say and maybe you don't know people too well, but you listen and you hear about their Christian testimony and the impact they had on their part of the world and you go, it is possible to end well. And it will encourage your thinking. It'll encourage your thinking. We're so self-driven that we, we only want certain kinds of activities in our life, but God says, look, your thinking can be righteous, but you need to expose yourself to some good things. Let me come back to this now and say, here's the final thought in this verse. Choose right thoughts. 
The last phrase in Philippians 4.8 says, meditate on these things in the New King James. And I believe in the NIV it says, think about such things or think on such things. Here's the key thing you need to know. This word kind of connotates the idea of thinking it through, like you'd have a math problem and you kind of reason it out. It's not just like something got shoved into your head. It's you thinking and reasoning, and it's in the form of a command. It's in the form of a command, and it's in the present tense. And what that means is, this is not a suggestion from God. This is God saying, do this. And he's saying, do this all the time. And so here's what we understand. Right thinking is not optional, but it is possible because God commands it. Everything that God commands is possible, and here's why. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. So right thinking is possible because God commands it. You may have thoughts that you struggle with, and so you you presume it's not possible to change. That's not true. God says you can learn to think in a positive and godly way. The Word of God is the agent of change in the hands of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As we learn and obey the truth of God's Word, the Holy Spirit transforms us by that Word. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Do you think the divine nature includes thoughts of anxiety? Do you think the divine nature includes thoughts that are sexually impure? Do you think the divine nature includes meditating on things that are not true? Well, of course not. And so God has made it possible for us to be a partaker of the divine nature. And so how does that happen? That happens as we, first and foremost, spend time in the Word. Get the Word in your mind. Get your mind into the Word. Open it up. Read it. Listen to it. The primary use of our mind ought to be to know God's Word and apply it to the situations of life. Now, I'm for going to college. I did it. I'm still going. I'll probably finish my doctoral degree by the time I retire. A lot of good it'll do me then. I'm all for that. But if you don't start by learning this truth, Your knowledge will be incomplete, and your thought life will not be honoring to God or a blessing to you. In order to think on God's word, in order to think these kind of righteous thoughts, you have to take in his word by reading, by studying, and studying can be done by yourself or with other people. We have small groups, we have Sunday school, etc. By listening to Christian music. There's no greater meditation time than listening to music. Why do I say that? Music is unique. Uh, Nobody has been able to nail it down because God didn't nail it down. But we all know that music speaks to us in a unique way. One, One theory that's been put forward is that music engages both halves of your brain at once. 
And that's entirely possible. And so we all know that we can listen to those musical jingles on TV and we can repeat them with ease, you know, especially from our favorite places. You deserve a break today. <laughs> or uh, I don't know, what's, a, what's your favorite one now? There's all kinds of them. <laughs> what's that? Have it your way at Burger King, yeah. Where's the beef? Yeah. Um, it's repeated, repeated, repeated with music, and we kind of sing along. Maybe that's one of the keys that we're, we're kind of verbalizing the words, either in our mind or with our mouth, and we're kind of going along, and pretty soon that thing is stuck in our head. You need to really ask yourself, what kind of music is stuck in your head? I, I've, I've played and sung all kinds of music over the years. I've been in all kinds of organizations, but there came a time in my Christian life when I said, you know, I have to commit myself to to primarily listening to Christian music, and doesn't mean that I don't enjoy other things. But Christian music sticks in your head and it affects you. And then at some point, you've got to deal with, with the issue of really keeping God's word. Somehow it's got to get in there and it's got to stay. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. When you encounter a temptation, what should come to the front is a thought from God's word. If you don't have thoughts from God's word coming into your mind when you're in the time of temptation, that is why you're sinning. Because there's no power in your own thoughts, there's only power in God's thoughts. As you take in God's word, and here's the thing that you really got to understand, the principle of replacement. As you take in God's word, it pushes out the garbage. From Ephesians 4, Put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man which was created according to God. There's a principle of replacement in the Christian life. The way to get rid of sin is to bring in that which is godly. If it's a behavior or a thought or a word, if I'm actively doing what is right, I can't be doing what is wrong. The problem some Christians get into in the wrong is they sit here and say, I'm going to stop doing what's wrong. I'm going to stop doing what's wrong. And that's a great, that's a, a true thing. God gives us commands like that. Stop doing what's wrong. But they're always coupled together with, now start doing what is right. And frankly, the focus of our life needs to be on doing the right thing, not stopping the wrong thing so much. I'm not saying that that is ineffective, but the effective part is to say, what should I be doing? What should I be thinking? And as I put that on, the other is pushed aside. <clears throat> as we work at learning God's truth, it changes our lives. Reading God's word and applying it in our life is not just a talk therapy. Like, oh, I'm going to try to do something. No, it is God's word changing us. It's powerful. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is a transformation. You become a different person. That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. From Isaiah 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Do you want the peace of God? Then focus your mind on him. <clears throat> Choose right thoughts.
few months ago, some people were on their dream vacation off the coast of Italy in an Italian cruise ship. And the captain of that ship thought, hey, there's a retired captain here. I'm going to sail my ship right up by the shore so we can wave to him. And he did that right up until the moment when he went, oh, no. And as I have read the articles in Popular Mechanics, my favorite magazine, he scraped that boat right alongside of a rock. And the boat, you know, eventually ended up like this. And a number of people died. I wonder if his mama said to him, what were you thinking? You know what he was thinking? He was thinking he didn't need to follow the rules. He was thinking he could take that ship off of autopilot and sail it right around there himself. He was thinking he didn't need to follow the rules, but he was wrong. God wants you to think the right way so you will gain the life of Christ. There is no other way to gain the life of Christ but that to think right. So what are you thinking today? Heavenly Father, help us to think your thoughts. Help us to keep this verse in mind and to to let it guide us away from some things and toward some things, most of all toward your word. Help us to have minds that honor you and lead us to be like you and lead us to live in peace. I pray in Christ's name, amen.